Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That you genuinely care about solving the seller's problem. And the only thing stopping you from doing that is the answers to those questions. I think most people reasonably will figure out after a couple of attempts on how to answer those questions that work best for them. Best ever listeners, before we jump into today's episode, for all my fix and flippers out there, are your financing costs eating away at your bottom line? And are you looking for a way to increase your overall profits by lowering your loan payments to the bank or maybe your private lender? Well, our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land, you know Patch of Land, they've been on the show, representatives of their company have been on the show many times, they've been a sponsor of this show many, many times, they're back for more because they love you and they love working with the best ever listeners and they've got an interesting point of view on interest rates and that is that it's... The interest rates that we are quoted shouldn't necessarily be taken at face value because perhaps a higher interest rate could actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And they have a white paper on how that is possible and how that can be applied to your fix and flip business to help your bottom line get more profitable and to help you choose the best a lender for your financing needs. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless and they've got a white paper for you and it will walk you through the way to evaluate interest rates in terms in general on your loan so that you truly are getting the best interest rate because there are some tricky things some lenders try to do to um, glaze over the fact that their lower interest rate, quote unquote, is actually higher based on some technical things that they put into it. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless and get that white paper so that you can save money on your fix and flip projects. Patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluff with us today. Tyler Chef, how you doing, Tyler? Hey, Joe, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, and welcome back to the show. Best ever listeners, if you recognize Tyler's name, well, then that's because you're a loyal best ever listener. And if you don't, well, then shame on you. You should be a loyal best ever listener, but welcome. Glad you decided to listen. Tyler was interviewed on episode 783, and that title of the episode is What He Did Immediately After Paying $40,000 for a 26-unit Memphis property he bought remotely 
that's a mouthful, but that certainly is intriguing. If you're curious about it, then go check out episode 783. Today, we're going to be talking about a specific skill that has helped him in his real estate endeavors because today is Sunday, and that's what we do on most Sundays, Skill Set Sunday. Tyler, in addition to the lead-in I just mentioned, he is the founder and CEO of CashflowGuys.com and the Cashflow Guys podcast. He's a commercial real estate broker. He's an investor, and he's a syndicator. He's got over 16 years' experience in real estate based in Tampa, Florida. His focus really is buying non-performing notes and apartment buildings, 50 units or less. With that being said, Tyler, how about briefly just give the best ever listeners a refresher on you and your focus, and then we'll dive into this skill set today. Well, as you said, my focus is multifamily. I like the smaller stuff. Uh, There's a, a space that I play in, the five to 50 unit space. I don't have a lot of competition. It's just a little too big for the single family guys, usually scared of it because it's multifamily. And the bigger guys, the guys that are playing in the big leagues like you are, it's a little too small for you. It's not worth your time. So I kind of exist in this space where there's only a few of us that are buying in this space, the mom and pop type arena. And uh, I like that space. I do. I know we were going to talk about the the skill of asking questions and not assuming the answers. And we'll get to that. But I want to follow up on this 5 to 50 space because I think that's really interesting. Is that okay? Absolutely. All right, cool. Management is the first question that I bet you get a lot from people. How do you pay for a manager if the property doesn't pay for it? And how do you allocate that? What's your response to that? As we all know, we make our money when we buy. So it all comes down to building those costs in advance. When I factor management, I'm always coming in at 15 to 18% as a management cost. Therefore, it forces me to negotiate a deal to pay for all my management expenses. That's a little trick that I use to force myself to do what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you make sure that you have that line item in there and it's 15 to 18% of what? Of the annual income. Of the annual income. Okay. 15 to 18% of the annual income is allocated to management. And where are you netting out after you see those expenses? Is it in that range or is it a little bit lower? We're averaging as far as a ROI and or cash on cash return. I'm asking, is it truly within the 15 to 18% of the annual income once you start operating the property or is it a little bit lower? I find it usually between the 10 and 13% is a, a true okay. number. I like to have a little bit of fluff in there, a little bonus money at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Okay. The actual management of a, let's say a 50 unit, how do you structure that team? The properties I have in Memphis now and, I, and I've been growing over some time, We've added some properties taken away. We've got one management company that manages everything for us. They primarily manage smaller assets. That's kind of their niche. They don't get into the big stuff. So initially, part of that 50-unit limit came to what their comfort zone is, the type of clientele that they're used to dealing with. So I've dealt with a lot of bad managers, Joe. I'm sure you have gone through that as well, as long as you Yes, absolutely. When I find a good one, I'm in love. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm going to buy what they like to manage. And that's what I've stuck with. Mm Mm-hmm. I understand that approach. As far as the management goes, that's one big thing for why people will say, I don't want to do 50 because the property doesn't support it. I need to do 100 because I can hire full-time staff. But you're just saying, hey, budget it in on the front end so that the property can pay for it. Absolutely. Okay. What are some other 
reasons why people say, I don't want to do 50, I'd rather do 100? Well, I'm not sure why people want to go larger. To me, I'm very, very hyper-focused. I'm very conservative when it comes to my investing, first of all. So I'm going to make sure when it comes to due diligence, because as we talked about in the previous episode we did on episode 783, I've made a lot of mistakes and I've lost money doing it. And I came away a better investor. I came away a better syndicator. I came away a better broker by going through that emotion of losing it. So for me, if 50 to 100 doesn't really matter, but when I'm investing in a certain market and I've got a, a manager that they just like to be in that 50 unit space so they don't have to put somebody on staff, they like to run a lean operation where they don't have people all over town on site, that's their reasoning. Makes sense to me, so I, I go with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. You plug into an operation that's already got the system and the expertise and you kind of bet you well you definitely benefit from it already being in place makes absolutely okay disadvantages to buying five to 50 versus smaller or larger it does take longer to scale my opinion that's a big disadvantage obviously go a lot faster with 100 units two 300 units and when you say scale what do you mean by that well to grow my portfolio okay i'm looking at my income levels i have to work a little harder than people do in the larger asset class. I've got to think outside the box a little differently and I'm not necessarily dealing with the same type of sophisticated owner. If I'm owner direct, I'm dealing with a little different seller than mm-hmm. what you would be. You know, you're dealing with a hedge fund in your space, commercial brokers, big companies, stuff like this. When they're talking about hundreds of doors, I'm almost always dealing with mom and pop. Mm-hmm. So the emotion comes back into the transaction where it wouldn't necessarily exist in the larger transactions. Okay. And I think that is a good segue into asking questions and not assuming the answers. Because when I asked you what type of skill do you want to talk about that you've honed and you think it would be important for other best ever listeners to hone, you said asking questions and not assuming the answers. Do you use that skill when dealing with the mom and pop owners? I got to say, across the board, it is what has helped me stay successful and profitable, 100%. Hmm. I find that in every case, we as humans, we assume everything. This is why people don't like each other on Facebook over three words on a post. Somebody misunderstands it. They assume Hmm. what the other person means, and then they have a freak out about it. This exact same thing goes on every day in transactions. And I finally woke up one day and I said, you know what? I'm just not going to assume anymore. I'm going to ask the question. An example of that is, let's say I got a guy by the name of John as my seller. And instead of me thinking, John's not going to take this offer. This offer is going to insult him. He's going to get mad at me and he's going to hang up the phone. He's never going to call me again. I pick up the phone and I say, John, I really want to buy your property. Matter of fact, I woke up this morning deciding that no matter what, somehow today, you and I are going to sit down. We're going to figure out how I can buy this property and help you out of the situation. Now, for that to happen, I can assume all kinds of things, but realistically, I'm not that smart and I'm probably going to be wrong. You may walk away upset. We both know I can only afford what the asset can afford to pay. Okay? I can't pay more for this property than what the asset can afford to pay. So let me ask you, John, what can this asset afford to pay? And I would say a word. I would just say whatever the original price was. And I'll restate the question. And when I do this... <laughs> Seriously, when I do this, I'd say, well, I heard you the first time. <laughs> and I'll reiterate the fact that, you know, I would love to, but here's the thing. When we go into this transaction, we're going to have appraisers and bankers and I've got investor partners coming in on this. We wouldn't buy this just because it's cool. We got to be able to make a profit. So right. yep. 
at this price point, John, how do I make a profit? I put them in the driver's seat because uh-huh. I'm not going to assume what they're going to say. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you very often they come back around to our way of thinking. The natural question there would be, well, how much money do you want to make off this? Exactly. And I work on monthly numbers. In other words, I look at a return. I say, John, when you owned this property, was it profitable? Did you enjoy it? Why did you buy this property? I revisit why they originally bought it. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm constantly putting them in the driver's seat because I have mm-hmm. no idea what they're going to say. But when they feel like they have the ability to be in control of the situation, I think the reality of it is I'm being a good listener. I'm letting them drive the car. And we're going to get to where we need to go if I give them the impression that they're driving the car, if I listen to them instead of just assuming. So in that scenario where you say, hey, I got investors, I need to make money off of this purchase, and I say, well, how much money would you need to make off of it? You don't give a direct answer. You then answer that with a question of, well, how much money did you need to make on it when you bought it? Or what would your reply be? Every situation is different. But in that example, I would probably say something along the lines of, John, the last couple transactions we've made, we're looking for somewhere between a, a 16 and 18% return across the board. For us to be able to do that, after we go through the due diligence process, we're going to have to really get down to brass tacks. Then I'll go right back to him again. When you bought this property, you were probably in the, what, 25, 30% return, weren't you? See, because I know he's proud because most men are proud. Yep. And they'll say, of course I was. Yeah. Cause you know, all investors are getting rich. Of course. Yeah. You know? Everyone does. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> ever has a mistake. Nobody ever loses money. <laughs> right. Yeah. I've got 6 million units. That's great. Yep. And why are you driving a Yugo? But yeah, exactly. anyway, so I'll revisit that and they'll always come up with a prideful number, which is beautiful because now I'm always asking for a number just below what their pride number is. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not assuming I'll let him drive. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. I can hear that play out and how that would work. I could also hear the opposite response where I'm thinking of a seller in my mind, a specific person. So that's maybe that's what it is. But they've done a very good job investing in a local market and they are incredibly tight with their finances and they do self-management and et cetera, et cetera. And I think they would actually answer the question, when you bought this property, what were you looking for? I think they'd say something like, I was just looking to beat inflation. And and fortunately, we did, and we made a little bit more than that, but I'm looking to get a fair deal. And then they'd go back to, I need to retire, and I can't retire off of the amount that you're offering. Well, you know, I'd absolutely agree with you, Joe. And it's tough to retire in today's society. What does retirement look like for you? I'm going to get them to verbalize that to me. What does that mean? Because if I give you a pile of cash, Joe, if I give you $3 million for this apartment building, we're going to put $3 million down on the table. Can I come back 12 months from now and visit it? Will it all be there? Of course not. You're going to do something with the money. Mm -hmm. Retirement is that what that is. Tell me about that. What does that look like? I'm focused on him and his pain. I'm not Mm -hmm. necessarily focused on the deal. Mm Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's not bulletproof. No plan is. But when I'm focused on the seller's needs and not on my own, and I get them to verbalize and and get comfortable with me, and I'm not a one-hit wonder, so I'm not one of these people that walks in and just slams them down like some mobile home wholesaler. This is a process. Sometimes it takes six months, eight months, nine months. Meanwhile, they're turning down everybody else's offers. And I've been successful walking in nine months later, Mm -hmm. buying the property for significantly better price or terms than what anybody else 
had offered. In other words, I'm getting a better deal than anybody else offered just because of the rapport. Over those, let's say, eight months, what are you doing over those eight months? We'll do things like if they're in my local market, we'll have a cup of coffee. Recently, I flew up to Memphis and I talked to a guy I've been talking to for several months. And I said, hey, you know, I've really never got to tour Beale Street. I'm going to be in town for a couple of weeks. Can you meet me for a beer on Beale Street and kind of walk me around? And he says, yeah, man, that'd be cool. So that's what we spent an afternoon walking around on Beale Street. He was giving me a tour of, of the history of blues in, in Memphis, Tennessee. Struck up a great rapport. We spent maybe 30 minutes talking about the deal or the property, so to speak. He's not quite ready to pull the trigger yet, but we part as friends. You see, we've gone to a different place. Yep. Two weeks after that, he calls me and says, hey, man, I just want to thank you for not coming up here and trying to hump my leg over this deal. That I really appreciated <laughs> hanging out with you. Did he I'm use like, that expression? Because I like that. Those, that exact words. I've been using it ever since. It's stuck in my head. It's like, that's great. I like that. It's a good visual. Uh, I don't know about that's a good right. visual, but it's a no, visual. it's a bad visual. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, it works. And it, I feel good about negotiations. It takes all the animosity out because I'm mm-hmm. genuine. Mm-hmm. As far as ways to improve this. So that's the approach that you take and it works. But now let's talk about how do listeners and myself get better at this. Start with the why. You can't get the answer usually the first time you ask the question. That's been my experience. They're going to give you some other sort of an answer. So practice makes perfect. I don't know about you, Joe. You do a lot of transactions. I'm sure you look at a lot of different deals. Anybody that's going to be out there actually doing deals you're going to get practice all by itself. And practice really is what it comes down to. It's get out there, fail. You're going to ask the question the wrong way. And I can't tell you which way to ask the question. I can tell you how I do it, but this voice only translates so well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People think that I'm more like a caveman and you know I should be some company <laughs> to kick your door in and uh, steal your car. But uh, you're going to have to try different approaches. But the key is if you go in with the mindset that you genuinely care about solving the seller's problem, the only thing stopping you from doing that is the answers to those questions. I think most people reasonably will figure out after a couple of attempts on how to answer those questions that works best for them. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that. A lot of times brokers get in the way. Yes, they do. Any thoughts on that? Well, being one, full disclosure, I'm a realtor, like broker, whatever, but I'm not licensed in Florida as a broker, but I'm a listing agent as well. I list properties and I encourage communication, first of all. So I will automatically try to befriend the agent. It's a little easier for me being one. They treat me a little better because I'm one of them, so to speak, at least when they see me. But for a person off the street, I would think, first of all, they live in scarcity. A lot of them do. They're very afraid of losing out on the opportunity. There may be some insecurities there, whatever. It's a little bit of scarcity mentality working. So knowing that, play to that. In other words, assure them that you are focused on everybody winning in this transaction. And what I've done in transactions is I've actually taken the responsibility early on for paying the broker's commission from the seller. In other words, instead of, listen, John, the broker, I understand you have this listing. How about this? I don't want your commission or anybody to feel like your commission, the seller to think your commission may impact this deal. So let's, even the playing field, I will go ahead and cover your fee if we successfully close on this. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Mm -hmm. Good. So now the commission's off the table. Now, Let's help me get this thing put together. And I've done a couple deals that way, and they've worked out quite well. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense on the 5 to 50 units because what's the typical commission on average on, say, a 50 unit that you're buying? Uh, you're looking 4% on average. 
Okay. And how much are your purchase prices about? Uh, we're looking at anywhere from 300000 up to maybe three mil. That's a big range. On a $3 million purchase, 4% is 120000 So you would be baking that into the costs to acquire the property? Absolutely. In exchange, you'd have an ally from the seller side. And that would help you get the transaction closed. Absolutely correct. And over and above that, when I'm working with my license representing a buyer, I always offer to take my fee as a promissory note recorded against the deed. So in other words, I represent you in a transaction. I say, Joe, tell you what, don't worry about my commission. I will record it as a note. Let's pay me 6% a year. How long you can keep the property? 10 years? Okay, let's amortize over 10 years. That's what, 200 and some odd dollars a month or whatever it works out to be. Let's do that and let's let the tenants pay me and then you don't have to. It doesn't become part of the transaction. It's just something that's a new line item for later. Hmm. Let's say that your fee is $100,000. How would you structure that again? I would basically amortize my fee. So let's say if your exit strategy is a 10-year hold, I would note in a mortgage, maybe 5 6% interest, mm-hmm. and then amortize it over the term of the duration of whenever you're going to own the property. Maybe, maybe structure a balloon or something like that to pay off a closing. And that keeps it clean. Yep. And I just become a monthly expense. Huh. Hadn't heard of that before. Yeah. In that case, it would be roughly 10000 plus 5%, 6% interest, whatever you do a year. And then at the end of the 10 years, you're fully paid off or something like that with a balloon payment after 10 years where it's not 10000 whatever the structure is. Right. The beauty of it is is that we can structure it any way we need to, to make the deal work. And if they don't pay it, what happens? I have a second position lien recorded against the property. So I guess we can start looking at foreclosure options and things like that. But I got to say, I've been in the business 17 years. I've never had anybody not pay. Mm -hmm. Knock on wood. That is a one creative way I hadn't come across before. Anything else as it relates to asking better questions and not assuming the answers that you want to mention in our conversation? I would say, and this is going to be a tough one for most people, especially in today's society, but in today's society, really, there's no excuse to not be face-to-face. We've got things like Zoom. We've got Skype. We've got the ability to get in a car and drive across town. Try to be face-to-face whenever possible. And by that, I mean even virtually face-to-face while you're talking to people, because I think if they can see the fact that you're genuine, I think that says a lot to the questions that you're asking. And I think that's going to result in you getting better answers. That's been my experience. Great stuff. I appreciate these insights and the overall approach. One additional resource I recommend on this topic of not assuming the answers is Crucial Conversations. It's a book that I have read multiple times and I recommend to people. And anyone who assumes things Basically, they're telling themselves a story and everyone has their own story and nothing in life means anything until we interpret the meaning that we choose to assign it. And that's something that this book talks about and they give some great examples. So Crucial Conversations is a book I recommend. How can the best ever listeners get in touch with you, Tyler? The best way to reach me is through my website, cashflowguys.com. Of course, for our podcast, we're on Stitcher, iTunes, the whole nine yards. From why you buy five to 50 units and the benefits and how you handle the management, you just bake it in prior to closing 15 to 18% you're seeing of annual income. In reality, you're seeing between 10 to 13% 
to how you're working with the local owners to purchase those properties and the focus that you have, which is being focused on the seller's needs, not your own, and caring about solving the seller's problems, that being the exclusive focus, then everything else falls underneath that and it might take a couple conversations, it might take eight months, or it might never happen. However, you're setting yourself up for success with a higher probability of closing with that approach. And I appreciate you taking that approach and giving us even some specific stories with the Beale Street example and whole humping your leg thing. So thanks for being on the show, Tyler. Again, I hope you have a best ever weekend and we'll talk to you soon. Today's sponsor, Patch of Land, has got the document for you that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper. They show you how a higher interest rate can actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And conversely, how a lower interest rate could deliver a higher cost to your fix and flip loan. Needless to say, you got to know this stuff to identify the best loan terms. Go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Get this document, patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom? The Dwellin' Show with Ola Dantis discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom. Go listen at www.dwellyn.com forward slash show. That's dwellyn.com forward slash show.